All powers Love to the people. Oh. All powers to oppressed people, African power to an African people, and black power. It's your brother, Chairman Yang and Kuma, People's Black Panther Party, man, coming at you again another Monday. Uh, with what's on your mind Monday, coming at you with, with, with two hot topics. The topics that we have today are hot. One of them, for a portion of the show, we'll be discussing the Chicago Four, the two brothers and two sisters that had, that uh, allegedly tortured a mentally ill white boy and are now facing hate crimes. And the other part that we'll be talking about are the Obama years, the legacy of President Obama his leaving office, the whole transition with Donald Trump coming in, what that means to African people here in America, how it affects us. And to answer that question or at least get some opinions and takes on the question that we've been seeing a lot of posts on Facebook about is what did Obama do for black people, which I think is a very relevant question. Um, But to start it off, man, let me just go into a little insight today. Today was King's Day in observance of Dr. Martin Luther King's holiday. Big shout out to Dr. Martin Luther King. I know a lot of revolutionaries out there don't particularly care for Dr. Martin Luther King or don't care for his um, philosophy and his stance on nonviolence. Now, me personally, I am one who who doesn't ascribe to nonviolent practices. I don't believe in that turn the other cheek. I don't believe in passive resistance or... um, what do they? I forget what they call it—a peaceful protest, and not peaceful protest, but I, I forget exactly the words that I'm looking for um, that they call it. But basically, I don't as, ascribe to, or subscribe to, or would advocate, or would recommend, or would tell any of my people to sit there and allow themselves to be brutally attacked. That's just something that's just not in me. I think it defies the very nature of any living creature. You know, you back anything in a corner, if you attack anything, its very nature will cause it to defend itself. So I can't wholeheartedly say that I advocate that. But I, I will say this. I will say this, that when we study Dr. King, um, the first thing that we say when we study his later years, I think that he understood the farce in integration, that he started, that he started to realize or he began to realize how integration was more harmful to us as an African people here in America than helpful. How it was more harmful than helpful. How he saw that an integration of our economy and not, it didn't just stop the integration, didn't just stop with our economy, but also our morals and our ethics. Our whole psychological makeup began to change when we started to integrate because it didn't stop with integration then you started to have the whole thing of assimilation. And anything trying to be other than itself only leads to disaster for that particular thing. How many times have I used the example of if you saw a dog meowing like a cat and trying to climb a tree, you you would look at the oddity of that. It's the same, in my opinion, of course, it is the same exact thing with African people in America trying to emulate the Europeans. And now in this day and time, what's unfortunate with all these other people coming over in this so-called great melting pot, you find the African here in America beginning to emulate everyone else, the Arab, the Hispanic, the Asian, everybody but African. You want to be everything but but, but your black ass. So um, 
I think that he, he, he started to recognize the destruction of integration. Also, I think that we must recognize that the black power movement, movement, the black liberation movement, was birthed out of the civil rights movement. We look at how many magnificent characters, how many magnificent brothers and dynamic brothers and sisters came out of SNCC and uh, SCLC and other organizations to take a more militant stance against the system. They began to see as they participated in their civil rights, and this is the importance to me, one of the importance of participating in things. As they participated in the civil rights movement, they began to realize that there was no justice in reformism, in trying to find their way in legislations and laws and regulations that were designed specifically to oppress and exploit people of color, particularly the people of African descent. When you look at um, our history here in America, we know that these legislations and these laws and these rules and regulations were designed to keep us in a certain status, in a certain class, in a certain psychological and mental thinking mode, you know. So, but I think when they participated in that, and, and they participated wholeheartedly, they got into that thing. They put their all into it. They were very sincere brothers and sisters, and for that, we should applaud their efforts. This was the way that they felt that they were going to tackle oppression and exploitation and racism and all the other ills that affect humanity in general and particularly us as, as people of African descent, um, that they were sincere in trying to find a solution to combat these, these social ills and these worldwide ills. But in their participation in all sincerity, they found that those solutions fell short of addressing the issues or providing real applicable means to change the conditions of African people here in America. So I do applaud Dr. King. I think he was one of ours. I think that if we take anything, it amazes me how we say, you know, the hell with the white man. You know, don't emulate the white man, but we will emulate his hate. We will emulate his rage. We will emulate his violence. We will emulate his destruction of not just human beings but of the planet Earth. And then when it comes to emulating the things of what you will notice about this white man, his acceptance of his own, that even if they disagreed with the ideology and philosophy of that other white man, of that fellow white man, they will accept that white man. We won't emulate that. We can't disagree with uh, Dr. King on a purely ideological and philosophical level. We have to go into character assassination. And I think, in my opinion, of course, this is one of the, the uh, a very terrible thing that affects Africans here in America, are not being able to separate our personal from professional. All right, let's go into, let's, let's talk about, so big shout out to Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King, and happy birthday, man. You know, rest in peace is coming from me, you know, how I feel about it. Thank you for your contributions. Thank you for your efforts in aiding and assisting us and trying to help us in, in the best of your mind at that time or whatever you were thinking in, in trying to get some type of liberation. Didn't believe in your ways. Don't follow your ways. Don't support your ideology or your philosophy, but thank you for your contributions to the struggle. The Chicago Four. I wish I knew their names. I really wish I knew their names. But the Chicago Four, 
about these two brothers and these two sisters who, beyond, in my opinion, of course, I mean, this whole thing, you find this great divide. There's a very big divide. You When you read Facebook and when I go out and I talk to people about it, we are so polarized by this thing. You have some people that wholeheartedly support the charges of a hate crime, that they say that these acts were horrendous, that they were brutal and barbaric, they were savage. And then you have the people that say, that I've heard that say, well, hell, you know, it was a white man, look what the white people have done to us. I think that in both of these understandings, there are some truths. There are some truths. But we have to be careful as an African people not to get caught up into what we are usually caught up into and what has been exploited from us for so many years, and that's our emotionalism, our emotional attachment, or should I say extreme emotionalism. Someone told me one time, they corrected me, they said, hey, love is an emotion, and you're always, Brother Yang, always talking about love. Isn't that an emotion? And they're absolutely right. So love is an emotion that we have to so I'm going to say not a, just emotions, but extreme emotions. So when we discuss the Chicago Four, when we're talking about this particular thing of these two brothers and these two sisters that um, have allegedly perpetrated this hate crime against this white boy, I can see both the sides. I can understand the side that says it was a brutal act of barbarity. It was savage. It was irrehensible. It was horrendous. I can understand how you would see that because the true nature of an African is not to take it to that extreme. It's not to take it to that extreme. And in my opinion, this is an effect of neocolonialism. This is an effect of being under white oppression for so long that in our rage, in our disgust at the system, we begin to take on their mannerism and their ways and we act out in such a way. And we do things like that. So I can understand how they're saying that it was savage. It was, to me, it was savage. I look at the video, I see a joyful glee at what was done. But I don't look at, I'm one of those brothers who don't look at the symptoms. I look at the cause. It's like if my child sneezes, not only do I wipe his nose, and get them some tissue and try to stop the sniffle and the sneezing. I try to go to the root of the cause. Is he catching a cold? So what was the root cause? I challenge us to get past the emotions of looking at it and, and ask ourselves, what was the root cause? What caused <clears throat> excuse me, such horrendous behavior? What made them feel, and those who have seen my videos knows that I'm just, I'm really reiterating what I said in the video what caused them to have to feel like that they have to act out like this? I don't think it. I don't sit here and fool myself. I don't think it was purely political in the sense of the way that most of the world would understand political. I don't believe it was some great blow for black liberation and that all of a sudden the white supremacists will know that we're nothing to play with. I don't believe that. But I believe it was political in the sense of what Deputy Chair Fred Hamp said when he said politics is everything and everything is politics. I believe that the social, cultural, economic conditioning caused 
these young people to be so frustrated. It caused them to want, it gave them a sense of powerlessness. Act right here empowered them, even if it was only for a brief moment. It gave them notoriety. It made the world sit up and take notice from a people who have too long been uh, obscure, dismissed, brushed aside. So this, this act here empowered them. But in all of it has done, I think that the saddest thing that happened to me, you find the people talking about, well, they were idiots. They put it on Facebook or they did this and they did that. It wasn't idiotic. It was insanity. These young people had literally snapped, had lost their mind, taken into a very dark place in their souls and in their psyche, that they had lost all sense of reality. They had lost one of the things that they say of insanity is that when you can't conceive the consequences of an action that you perform, when you're not even cognizant, of the outcome that may come from an action that you do, that's one of the signs of insanity. So I think that we were looking at a not just an ins- a, a young people that went insane, but how this insanity touched one another and it turned into a pack mentality type thing. And this is a microcosm of a macrocosm. This is a small example of what our young people are feeling on a larger scale that maybe have not reached that point of exploding in such a violent manner, but I think that it should serve as a lesson, eye-opener, for the African community, especially, specifically, for the adults in the African community to be aware of the state of our children. We become so engrossed and so consumed with ourselves that we really begin to neglect our children and have ceased to look at our children as individuals and human beings with feelings and emotions of their own. And in this conditioning that we're living in, in in this oppressive, exploitive system that we live in, we've been so bombarded with trying to survive and trying to provide for our families that we have. and, and, And I don't think that it's willfully. I don't think that is intentional, but we have in some ways neglected the emotional state of our children. How are our children dealing with this day-to-day? When we were coming up, some of us at least, when we were coming up, we had the adults that created these barriers, these social norms. And even if they weren't always followed, we knew the social norms. We knew what was right and what was wrong at least for our communities, because these boundaries and perimeters parameters had been established and had been set, and in a lot of cases would be enforced by community. Now our young people have no parameters, no boundaries. Sexuality, they're running rampant in their sexuality. I talked to my nephew a couple generations younger than me, and the things that he's done before marriage I mean, even before the age of 20, damn, I wasn't even doing when I got married. The drugs, we look at the drug use back when we were coming up, 
you did a little weed, might even did a you know, little people even did a little cocaine. But now when you look at what's happening now, not just is it marijuana, not just is it cocaine, but it's prescription medication. Like I said before, they're taking things, they're on this thing called lean. It has gotten so bad in our society that our young people take drugs so they can go to sleep. I mean, lean just puts you, takes you out. They just want to clock out. They don't want to get buzzed. They just want to be done with it. This is how bad the conditioning and the situation is, and I don't think that we really pay attention to that. And so I think that these four young people are two, the are, are four young people that slept through the cracks, slipped through the cracks. And it is to me, it is so much easier for us to blame our youth, for us to blame, to say that they're undisciplined, to say that they're unruly, to say that they won't listen. But listen to what? Listen to what? What have we shown them? What kind of aspiration have we given them for the future? Can they look forward to inheriting a business? And if not a business, even a skill. It used to be a time where um, the fathers, if they had a skill or had a trade, would take their sons to work to learn these particular skills and trades. The carpenter would take his son, and his son would learn carpentry. The plumber, so on and so forth. So are they learning skills? What future do they have? What is there to look forward to? What is there to motivate them, to inspire them to do better, to want more? I think these are some of the questions that we have to ask ourselves. So when you find these young people who are also section of our young people. When we look in the news, the majority of the people being gunned down and murdered by police are young people. So what message does this send them about the system and the older people who are supposed to be responsible and their protectors? It says that you can't protect me, that you're incapable of protecting me. So they start to take things in their own hands. And they start to act out in the manner that they act out. So this is a, a a challenge. You know how I do, brothers and sisters. I get on here and I issue these challenges, these these challenges to our community and the progressive organizations that led it to create programs to address this. And this is not a slap or a knock for those programs that we have, those I call them brief relief programs. They're very nice. I think that they're necessary. We feed the homeless. We do these things. Those are necessary, but they're relief programs. They're brief relief programs. We are not the Red Cross. Now, we have to start to create programs that inspire our people to participate in their own self-sufficiency, in their own self-determination that educate, that instill a need for liberation and independence, not just in us with our grown selves, but in our children. It has to become a part of our culture. If not, we will see more occurrences like we saw out of the Chicago 4. And then I address, so that's my defense of them. But then I address the brothers and the sisters who say, well, you know, they were, it was a white boy. He never did nothing to me. This was a blow 
to white supremacy. How? How is it a blow to white supremacy? They say, well, white people did it to us. I'm reminded of this movie called Lion of the Desert. It's a, it's, 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 it's an older movie. It's about the Arabs. Uh, it has Anthony Quinn, and, 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 and it's about the Arabs during World War II when they were fighting Nazi Germany. And they had captured, these Arabs had captured some Germans, and one of the Arabs uh, executed the Germans, shot him in the back of his head in the Lion of the Desert, the leader of the Arabs. They called him Lion of the Desert. He said, why did you do it? And the Arabs said, they kill us. They catch us, they kill us the same way. Anthony Quinn asked him, he said, since when do they become our teachers? Since when do they become our teachers, brothers and sisters? Since when does this oppressor, since when because his repression and his exploitation, his barbarity and his savagery towards us, when does that give us just cause to be a savage, to become un- uncivilized? We're civilized people. Am I saying don't defend yourself? This is not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that there are parameters. There are rules and regulations that not just being right, with humanity, not just so you can be right with humanity, but you can be right with yourself and right with your in the universe. And it only makes sense politically. We look at my example. We look at what ha- what's happening in Palestine with the in- illegal state of Israel. And yes, I do believe Israel is an illegal state. I do believe that those so-called Jewish people have occupied Palestine, have annexed a a section of it, separated a section of it, and call it Israel. I honestly believe that. But why does the world support Israel? It's not just because of Jewish lobbyists and Jewish economic empowerment over here in America and political sway in America that makes us support Israel. It's because of the propaganda. Though they bombed the Palestinians, they murdered the Palestinians, they killed Palestinian women and children, they kill Palestinian working men. They close the border so they can't get to work. They cut their, while they have gardens, extravagant gardens, watering gardens in the desert. The Palestinians are drinking filthy water out of taps and little pipes coming out of the wall. But why is there no world outcry? Because the Palestinians will, when they retaliate back, go to such brutal acts of savagery that the real devils hide behind that. They hide behind that. This devil Netanyahu, he comes on in. Look, they bombed a bus with children and this. Because they're caught in their emotionalism. To show the world the, the, the atrocities that the savages are perpetrating on them. It's a long fight. It's a hard fight. But it has to be a fight, one of morals, integrity, and real strategy and real applicable, realistic strategies. This is what our fight is about. So I don't believe in any way, shape, or form that what the Chicago 4 did was a blow towards white supremacy. But what it did was aided these white supremacist cause. Their propaganda machine already dehumanizes us. It already it already criminalizes the victim. You and I have been victims to a crime perpetrated against our ancestors. You and I are being victimized by a system that is 
deliberately set up to oppress us, keep us boxed in, to only allow a select few to make it through so that they can have a um, quota, that they can fill a quota of Negroes. It's no secret. This is what they're doing. But when our people act out and act out of our emotions and our rage, and I understand righteousness, but when we don't capture our young men and our young women and give them ways to express this, when they act out in such a manner, it gives them ammunition. It gives them food. It gives them propaganda. They can show it to the world, and therefore when they murder us, we're looked at as savages. They dehumanize us. And when I say dehumanize us, that means when they take the humanity from you and they see Mike Brown laying there twisted, who threw his hands up in the air and was unarmed, and he's murdered and laying and bleeding on the street, they see a nigger. Not someone's son. Not all the potential that he had and the things that he could have been in life. They see a nigger, a criminal. They see one of the Chicago Four. This is not, in, and I'm not putting the blame on these young people. I'm just explaining how it is and the games and the tactics that they use. And what we do when we have so much apathy and we're not involved with our young people like that, then we go, we sway in the wind. Because we're caught up, we want to debate about Kemet. We want to be so deep. We want to talk about what part of Africa we really came from. They told me it ain't where you're from, it's where you're at. We get caught up in this. We want to have all the knowledge and no programs. Not building institutions and not, if not institutions, structures. And when I say institutions, because I know how that word strikes us as an African people, we don't like nothing with no institution in it. But when I say institutions, I mean structures that will promote and teach and encourage and motivate self-determination, liberation, empowerment on a constant level with a real curriculum, with a real plan. This is what program means, a real programming, a real setting in order of things. And this is what has to happen. It is necessary that it happens. And it has to happen in such a manner we have to begin this process because we see what's happening is they've taken our leaders and we start to breed fewer leaders farther in between. I would love someone in this day and time to tell me what leader we have that even would remotely come into comparison or stand in the shoes close and not even exactly like, but just come close to the Malcolms and the Huey, the Stokely's, the H. Rap Brown. The Matula Shakurs, the Lamuma Shakurs, the Asada Shakurs, the Elaine Brown, the Eldridge Cleavers, the Kathleen Cleavers. Time we were producing such strong leadership, such profound revolutionaries back to back to back. Now we struggle to find a fistful of brothers and sisters whom we would feel comfortable calling revolutionaries. It's not that they don't have the potential. I'm sure a lot of them out there have the potential. A lot of us have the potential. 
but we lack the discipline because we lack the political education. We lack a clearly defined ideology. We lack a clearly defined ideology. And because of that lack of ideology, other so-called ideologies slip in and masquerade as black na- revolutionary black nationalists. Other people throw their two cents in and call it a revolutionary black nationalist, leaving a bad taste in the mouths of the new brothers and sisters who would come along. And on either, we've become so dependent, oppressor, our capturer, our colonizer, that we're waiting for someone to come and rescue us to save the day without doing any of us to work ourselves. We don't understand collectivism, African communalism, the whole aspect of working together, what that entails, how that looks, no big eyes, no big eyes, a collectiveness. That becomes foreign to us. And when it becomes foreign to us, when we're in this state, like anything, when the body is sick, it gives off um, hints that it's not feeling well, back pains or whatever you have you. And when it starts to give these feelings off, this is, then you start to know that you have to address that problem, that thing that ails you. And our young people, the Chicago Four, is a symptom of a sickness. The Chicago Four is a symptom of a sickness. But oh, my people, oh, us, we suffer from nigger amnesia. We suffer from nigger amnesia. We, we've been so over-sensationalized. We've been bombarded so much with all the sensationalism, with all the fantastic stories on Facebook and other social media and the um, news outlets that the Chicago Four now, for many of us, is just a figment. It's just missed. We haven't really sit and thought and contemplated we watch it and say, damn, that's a damn shame. We watch the video and we share the video, and the only thing we worry about is what that went down viral. Not looking for real solutions. We're still caught up in waiting for that Savior or doing the easiest thing we can do. Like I said, I'm not knocking our programs, but I'm just speaking it, keeping it real. Getting a few canned goods a few something, and going out feeding some hungry people, some homeless people, thinking that we're doing what the third development of whom many called the original Panthers were doing. So I was there. You might as well give me an original Panther, but that is not the extent of what the original Panthers did. When you do that, that's great. You're addressing a social need. You're addressing a real condition, a real problem that we as African people have, and not just we as African people have, but in a lot of these metropolitan, a lot of these large cities, you're addressing the homeless issue, the hungry issue. That's good. But what made the original Panther so dangerous? Do you think it was because they were feeding some children? Is that what you thought it was? 
did you think that they gave us free breakfast in school that the government started to implement that program because they all of a sudden saw the humani- the humanitarian uh the um the humanitarian good and went to the family and said, Hey, let's emulate that. Let us start feeding the children. Let us start doing something. Is that what you really thought they did? They did that because they understood when the original Panthers were feeding the babies, they were giving them ideology. They were giving them an ideology. They were teaching them about self-sufficiency and self-determination, teaching us. I was there. We didn't just get grits. We started to learn that we could do for ourselves. Where do you think the food stuff came from? You thought Kroger's donated it? Piggly Wiggly? Food Lion? Donated these food stuff? It was from the community. The community cared for their own. The Panther Party just acted as that outlet. To be the ones to gather the food, cook the food, and distribute the food amongst the youth. And they gave us ideology with this is what frightened J. Edgar Hoover. So who, when you're feeding the homeless, I know that it feels good. It feels wonderful. You feel It feels great. It's that warm, fuzzy, tingly feeling in your belly. It's nice. But what ideology are you giving them? Program for self-sufficiency. Teach a man to fish, he'll eat. What is it? Give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach him how to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime, he'll eat forever. Are you teaching him how to fish? Are you just letting them know next Sunday, next Saturday, next Thursday, next Wednesday, come here and get a handout? Come get a handout. And then have the audacity to put it on Facebook or put it out there like you really didn't done some shit. Like you really didn't done something. Only thing you didn't done to me, you did a good, you should get your merit badge. I think you should get a merit badge for community service. But you should also get an exploitation badge because the same time that you're feeding these people, the same time that you're doing this necessary good, you're taking pictures. Throwing up black fists, taking pictures with homeless people like they want to be out there smiling in your damn face. And they're hungry. I got to throw up a black fist and yell black power to get a biscuit? You know how I feel about that. I stopped doing it. We stopped doing that. We stopped filming them, and then I'm, I don't see what y'all doing. You won't, and you won't see it. I'm not going to put this family on there when they're at their lowest point. They don't feel like smiling. They don't feel like posing for a picture when their children are out there eating out a star phone, in the cold, bundled up, waiting in line for a, a, a plate. You think that brother really want to smile? You think that mother really want to smile? You want to holler about you doing damn something. Create some self-sufficiency. This is what the Panthers of old did. This is how they did. They understood why the games formulated. And they were so cold that the games the so-called games of street drive would join the Panthers. Look at Bunchy Carter, whom the Crips and the Bloods both lay claim to from the Slauson boys. Because of that ideology, because of that sense of fraternity, brotherhood, and 
sisterhood and collectivism and communalism and togetherness. This is what started drawing the street tribes in. And they saw the sincerity. And they provided a sense of manhood. The sisters would provide an example of womanhood. They didn't leave the young people to fend for themselves, to try to figure it out for themselves, because they were sitting there debating about if we were damn Hebrew, whether we should be called black, comedic sciences. You didn't find them doing that. They didn't get involved with that over-cultural nationalist stuff. I almost used profanity. Started going in. They didn't get involved with that to that degree that they let it divide them. But when this European came in and took the need for interdependence on one another, when that European came in with his materialism and consumerism, because that was the second thing that he killed us with when we integrated. We thought we had arrived. We thought we had arrived. So in our so-called luxury, in our uh, nice homes and driving our cars and our wonderful clothing, we thought we had arrived and passed that sense of consumerism and materialism down. And what defied manhood and sisterhood was no longer how the community reacted, was no longer how you reacted or participated in community, how you interacted with your family and your neighbors. It was on your possessions, what you possessed. And when that happened, even in amongst the conscious community, then the thing became how much knowledge you have, what you can debate about. So while we're sitting here debating and going back and forth with one another, our youth are suffering. I'm not saying that that knowledge isn't cool. I'm not saying that that knowledge isn't cool. But jumping out of your, but I can't go to a grocery store and say that I'm more than I'm not black and get a free loaf of bread. It serves me no benefit in my everyday applicable life, in my day-to-day. And this is what the Panthers address. And it's not about knocking those brothers. Do your thing. But we have to be an organization. Those Panthers out there, I'm talking to those Panthers out there, that address the everyday Tell you again, the Chicago 4 was a symptom. It was a symptom of a deeper, deeper, deeper sickness that plagues our society. And we find that we are so at loss at what took place with our youth that some are openly condoning almost to the point of pure madness. Insanity, sickness, it just sounds stupid to the how many I hear in the way that they're condoning. Oh, it's a blow against white supremacy, the white man. It's almost sickening. The other way of the end of the spectrum, how they're condemning, it's just as damn sickening. Worse than a white man. I think that the way I hear some of these Negroes condemning them, I need the Chicago four better off taking their chances in front of a white judge because some of these niggas are already hustling. 
This your brother, Chairman Yang and Kuma, People's Black Panther Party. This is Independence Black Talk Radio. This is your radio program, brothers and sisters, your opportunity to call in, to have a word. If you want to say something, press one, we'll recognize you. We exchange ideas and we'll share. This is what it's all about, communalism. It's a think tank. We need you. I need you, and prayerfully you will find me useful to where you can benefit and utilize me and need me in some things that you, you're trying to accomplish and trying to do. It's the only way that we're going to be successful. It's the only way we're going to win. So that's 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 my swoop on the Chicago Four. I mean, that's how I take it. I look at it to me, being especially being a person that loves, loves young people, I see it as a symptom. My heart goes out to them. They, for a brief moment, in my opinion, of course, had lost their minds. That it was so much pressure. They told me being an old street hustler. Like they told me, they said, man, a pressure bust a lead pipe, what do you think it'll do to your mind, bro? Pressure bust a pipe, what do you think it'll do to you? So I think the pressure of society burst their minds, burst their young minds that are still struggling to conceive and define who they are. Isn't this what our thing that we say develop, defy, develop, and defend? We must help them and aid them to define who they are, define their reality, define their place in this reality, define what type of future that they want to have and what that future looks like. Then we must help them to develop that. That's our job. That's our only job. It's not to get all the riches in the ball till we fall, but to start to aid and assist our people, especially our youth, to develop those things that will help them and cultivate them along the way and then defend that at any cost. Defend that, understanding how necessary this is for our survival. And we go on to our next topic. And like I said, the line is over. We can go back and forth to topics. Press one if you like to talk in, to chime in, and we can wrap. But we can go to our other topic, one that we find that is, uh, you know, I've been seeing a lot of posts about, and this is this has been the big thing. Here it is. What has Obama done for black people? I would love to get your feedback on this, brothers and sisters. What has Obama done for black people. My question is, who's asking? Who's asking? Because most of the people that I see that have posted that, what has Obama done, have a lot of them have been so-called revolutionary black nationalists. Those who say they don't adhere to any part of this system, who don't believe in any part of this system, who are not with any part of this system, totally. And then they say, well, what has Obama done for black people? Well, if you don't believe in the system, not a part of the system, that's like a Muslim asking what you get me for Christmas. What the hell does it matter, Muslim? Either you're a Muslim or you're a Christian. Why would a Muslim be asking, what did you get me for Christmas? So why would the fat ass, tough ass, 
revolutionary. I don't got nothing to do with this system. I don't care about this system. Ain't nothing wrong with it and everything. Ask what the hell he did for them. I, that right there. What he did for me, I'm going to tell you what he did for me. He showed me the ignorance in the so-called conscious community. I really didn't want to really tell him what he did for him. He got y'all niggas a phone. I seen all y'all niggas had one of them phones. Don't even front. Don't front. Everybody had one. Don't front. So you got a lot of y'all phones. But outside of that, asking what he did for you and you don't subscribe to anything that is American. Obama was not a black president. He was the president of the United States who happened to be black. Am I defending his presidency? No. Am I justifying his actions as the president? No. I am just stating a fact. I'm just stating a fact. He was the president of the United States. So if you don't know how these three branches of government, executive, judicial, and legislative branches of government work, then what the hell are you talking about? I've never seen so many ignorant-ass revolutionaries, so-called revolutionaries, asking that question. I wasn't looking for them to do anything for black people because I've never had a Masonic complex. I've never had the complex that when some great black savior was going to come down and rescue me. That this Negro getting into the White House all of a sudden was just going to change the condition. Because I am one who understands how this system works. And everybody, whether black or white, are just a puppet to the system. They're just a puppet to this system. This is what we, I'm saying as Africans in America, the point I'm trying to make. We have to start to establish, create a system that will last, a system that will be in place despite the in and outs of whoever takes a position, a system of integrity a system of fortitude that can persevere whatever comes against it. And this is exactly what this European has done. So we weren't even in, when you're looking at American history, in my opinion, he probably has been one of the worst. I mean, he's killed more American citizens than any sitting president. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into that. But the question, asking that question is so blanket, and it lets me know that we're still on that elementary level of waiting for someone to come along and save us. Excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm coming down with the snippers. Waiting for someone to come along and save us. And this will always be to our detriment. This will always be to our detriment. He didn't do anything for black people. He didn't do anything for black people. And this will, and it will always continuously 
be like that. So we have to do for self. We have to do for self. He could have now reforming black people may have said that, you know, what have he done for us? Can we help him out? But even the reformist black people, it's like if someone has a gun and they don't, you say, why you didn't shoot that dude? He said, you didn't give me bullets. Even the reformists, if you didn't back and get involved with those certain politics, he still didn't have the ammunition to do anything for you. What were your demands on him? Or were you so enamored about having a black president that you didn't make any real legitimate demands? These are the things that we have to ask ourselves. Now, again, brothers and sisters, like I said, stop waiting for this Messiah, this great Messiah to come down. What systems are we putting in place to check that? Now we're going into this Trump transition. What does that mean for us as African people in America? What is that going to look like? I think the question is going to be answered when they say, what did Obama do for us? I think when Trump comes into the presidency, it's not going to be, what Obama do for us is what is Trump doing to us. Me, I've never been one to be worried about it. I actually applaud it because sometimes I think people have to put into a fight. I think sometimes you have to be thrown into a fight. And this is one time that we'll be thrown into a fight because a lot of the social programs will be cut. A lot of the social programs will be cut. So it's going to cost, cause us to have to depend on one another, to have to rely on one another, to have to really go to the drawing board and come up with some practical solutions. This is what it's going to take. We had in the years of, instead of looking for someone to do something for us, in the years of having a Democratic or a so-called Democratic, whatever that means, whatever the hell that means, Democratic president in office, when things were a little lax, did we take advantage? When it was time to, this is why I say I believe in being put into a fight. When we had the opportunity, when we had eight years of relative laxity, when it wasn't as strict and strenuous, we take advantage of that. When they had Obamacare going on, did we go to the elderly and say, can I get you to a clinic? Can I help you fill out your papers for Obamacare? Can I take you somewhere to get a checkup? Did we organize on that level? Now they're talking about repealing it. And when they repeal it, you know the things, what goes up there, you got to have co-pays and pay this and pay that before you even get seen. So were we too busy bitching about what he didn't do, or did we take advantage of, like I said, that laxity, that relaxed era, that time where it wasn't as strenuous? And I don't think we did. And I think that that 
is going to be to our detriment. Now's the opportunity, like I said, to start to do for ourselves. And we're going to be forced to do for ourselves, to come up with the real health programs on our own, on our own time and our own time. Then again, brothers and sisters, like I said, chime in, press one if you like to chime in. Everyone doesn't have to agree. You can disagree with me. I would love to hear your opinion, your comment, how you feel about it. You know, I'm not saying that I have all the answers. These are just my opinions, my observations. And they're not always the most popular observations because they, to me, they are, like I said, my opinion, factual. They have merit and substance. I'm talking about, I'm going to be so real and tell you, I'm pissing people off so bad, they dropping like flies off the car because they don't want to hear it. Either they want to hear me condemn this man or condone him. We don't want to talk about doing for self. We don't want to talk about the strategies of doing for self, looking in there that this was an eight years of laxity, an eight years of relaxation. And if you don't believe me, then watch these. You can drop off. I prefer that you press one and chime in and let me hear your take on it. But I understand how we're people delved in our emotions and get very pissed. They may even feel like I'm defending them. If you feel like that, press one and let me know why. School me. Let me know where my people are at. How you feeling about it? Shit, we just kicking it. We just kicking it, but that's what it's all about to me. We got to come up with some solutions. You're entitled to your opinion. I'm entitled to my opinion. I just don't see the empty, I just, in this empty rhetoric, I just can't be one given to empty rhetoric and sensationalism. When I mean empty rhetoric, just a bunch of talk, 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 saying what I think you want to hear. I can get up here. I'm one of the, the, the loudest mouths I know. I will talk into the cow, and those who know me will tell you. Sometimes they have to put a muffler on me, I can talk. So I could get up here and tell you about this devil, this cracker, this Tahoe, this Yahoo. I can call them all kind of savages in different languages. But to what avail? To what end? Will it motivate you to do for yourself, or will you walk away feeling gratified for a moment because you say, man, I never heard nobody talk about the white man to that extent. But at the end of the day, what program or what thought have I stimulated or stirred in your mind to start to want to do for yourself, to start to look at your surroundings and your environment in a realistic way, to start to factor in that politics is a part of everything and everything is a part of politics? Oh, you don't believe me. I don't get involved with politics, brother chairman. Then you don't you didn't listen to Deputy Chair Fred Ham Senior, whom I just quoted. Politics is everything and everything is politics. If you pay rent, if you pay a water bill, if you pay a light bill, when you pay those taxes on your food at the grocery store, when you pay clothing taxes, 
when you pay gasoline prices, when you pay taxes on your car, Avalon taxes on your car, you're involved in politics. But the black man has been so used to going in whatever direction that the wind blows, that the powers that be say you should go, that we don't even think about the effect of it anymore. We don't even think about the effect of it anymore. How many times have I just talked about accountable? Like they said, well, what's the using in politics? We can't make a change. We can't affect the change. Why do you think these politicians, and I'm not a reformist. Don't get it twisted. Please don't get it twisted. Please don't get it twisted. Let me first, even before I go into that, explain what a revolutionary is and a reformist is. I am a revolutionary. A revolutionary believes in the complete and total change of the system. I don't believe that the system that we live in today, the system we're under today, is advantageous for people of African descent. I don't believe it. I believe it was built off not just genocide, not just the robbery and complete genocide and complete wiping out of a whole race of people being the Native Americans, whom some call the Indians or whatever, I mean completely annihilating a whole race of people, damn, that's a crime if I've ever heard of one. I mean, we forget, though. We we really forget. We walk around, we enjoy this land and, and all its amenities, and we really, really forget. We really forget the people that were here before us, that were completely wiped out, completely wiped out. We forget that. So not only was it built on that, but also the kidnapping robbery of a whole other race of people, the disconnect from their ancestry, man, from their blood tie. Feel me? Do you hear me out there? You have relatives in Africa whom you'll never know. You have relatives whom you will never know. And we walk around like it's okay. Even the doctors know how important it is for you to know your history. Go to the doctor. What do they ask you? Do you have a history of cancer? Uh, does mental illness run in your family? I don't know because y'all niggas took me from Africa. I might be from the craziest tribe in that motherfucker. I don't know. I might be. I might be from the craziest damn people in Africa. I don't know. But we walk around like it's okay. So this system has been built on those crimes alone. So no, I can't advocate participation to the degree that I believe that it will my salvation lies in reformation of this so-called legislation, laws, and stuff over here. Man, I wouldn't even sell you that BS. I wouldn't sell that to you. So I don't advocate a reformist ideology, one who believes that, yo, if, if, if we get in there and enough of us vote and we, enough of us become politicians, and th- then we can change the system. No, I don't, I don't advocate that. I don't believe that's true. I believe in complete and total change. This system is not for us. Point blank. But what do I believe? I do believe that the journey of a thousand miles starts with one footstep. So I do believe in 
my 10-point platform and my nine local objectives. As a panther, this is one of the reasons I joined the panther. And objective number three says we must hold, we must control the politics and politicians in our community. Malcolm said black nationalism politically is to control the politics and politicians wherever you find us the majority. This is what Malcolm said. See, a lot of us like to quote Malcolm. On particular, we like to, we use Malcolm like the uh, buffet. I'm going to take a little bit of this Malcolm. I'm going to leave a little bit of that Malcolm. But this is what Malcolm said. And why is this necessary? Because you have money allocated for your community. You have money for your community. But since you don't go to community meetings, since you don't go to the so-called community meetings, and I don't get involved with this, you don't know that there's billions of dollars, thousands of dollars, hundreds of dollars allocated for your community for libraries, better streets, street lights, maybe even pipe problems. That's in, because we don't know. So these politicians get the money, pocket the money, and say you Negroes suffer from apathy. They don't care. Or that y'all tore it up or whatever. And then all of a sudden, when you look up and see that same nigga on the news for embezzlement, you say, damn, that nigga stole a billion dollars. That was your money. Where do you think he got that billion dollars from? That was to, to your community. Oh, he didn't get it from the white folks. The white folks don't play that. See, he presented himself as the spokesman for unique roles. And when they saw the conditions didn't change, they come question about the money, then they lock them up so everybody loses. You didn't get what you were supposed to get, and that Negro got locked up. And then they just then what they do, they send in the bus full of white folks, and it's called gentrification. They say since the niggas don't want to clean up the community, fix up the community, we didn't get money to do it, this and that. We just send white folks in, and they'll fix it up and move in, and don't worry about it. And next thing you know, the house that your folks been living in for years belonged to white folks, the family home. So they didn't raise the property taxes because white folks that came in, they didn't raise the property taxes. We don't know politics, so then they come in with the predatory lending. So now they even took out a second mortgage because we don't know nothing about what the hell going on. We just know they're going to give us a little extra money, this and that. You can't pay the mortgage back, this and that. Only the end result is they could get a U-Haul and get your stuff and get out. Why? Because our revolutionary organizations out there feeding some goddamn homeless. We didn't have no economic program. We didn't. We didn't sit down with the elders and let them know how these devils are coming in, bamboozling them, tricking them. We didn't sit down with our youth and tell our young people to become astute, to pay attention, to start to learn, so they won't be tricked and duped by the same thing. We don't start investment groups. I'd love to have an organization the size of the Nation of Islam and paying the dues that the Nation of Islam pay. And you look at these places like Cleveland, Chicago, Detroit, where the property value is damn near zero. I'd go buy it all up. Where's the black economic investment groups? Because we believe in a Masonic complex. We get these black leaders and we don't hold black leaders accountable like we don't hold black politicians accountable. No, we must hold them accountable. To go back to my original thought, though, so this is point number three in the nine local objectives, to hold our politicians accountable. So to a degree, it's not reformism, 
But since you are a part of politics involuntarily, then you might as well have a say on what goes on. You might as well have a say in what goes on. That's all I'm saying. Do I believe in reformist politics? No. You got a brutal police department, though, killing black folks. How many times you can ran road past yards and they say, Sheriff so-and-so, vote for Sheriff so-and-so, vote for Sheriff this, for Sheriff that, for Sheriff. Nigga don't say, I don't vote, I don't vote, I don't vote. Then wonder why the police department killing you. You don't even know the sheriff that got elected in. Shit, even if you don't vote, go sit in the thing when he has a debate. Be able to hold him accountable. What's his track record? We're dealing with black folk. What's his track record? Keep riding past the damn sign. You ain't going to vote. Then don't vote, but at least know this cracker or, or this Uncle Tom or maybe he's pro-black. Sheriff into office that's going to affect the policies and procedures of that police department. Too reactionary. We always waiting after the fact. It's always after the fact. Then you want to protest. Never seen so many protesting damn people in my life. If protesting would have got us free, we'd have been free 20 times over. Where's the productivity? Every, you see, every group does it. Every group does it. Our Hispanic brothers and sisters, the Jews do it. I came from Cleveland. You can always tell what neighborhood you live in, the ethnicity of that neighborhood, because they're so proud of their ethnicity that the neighborhood is named after. Go to Cleveland, Little Chinatown. Try it. When you go to Little Chinatown, what are you going to see? Chinese people. Got a little, little Russia. Little Italy. We don't have, where's your little Africa? Where's your little Africa? It's the hood. The ghetto. Don't even have a little Africa. Because we blow like the wind. And then, since we blow like the wind and don't get involved with nothing we do, and the first thing they do when Obama gets out of it, what did Obama do for black folk? What did Obama do for black folk? Obama didn't make you go to that Arab corner store and constantly spending money with that Arab and spending money with these foreigners and I understand that might be the own story, but at least, at the very least, having some disdain for it in your heart, it should bother you. Shit, I'd be in there sometimes. We'd be tug-of-war with my dollar. They'd be like, let the dollar go. I'd be like, well, I can't. But, sir, uh, I gave you your product. Please let it go. Man, I, I want to. My hand ain't working. It's hard for me to let this dollar go. Because I know it's going straight out of my hand and straight out of my community. straight out of my hand and straight out of my community. We don't feel some kind of way. And when you do feel some kind of way, we're so far gone that if you say something, it's always that nigga sitting on the crate in front of the damn liquor part of the cooler that want to come check you. One of us checking us, knowing that this foreigner is robbing us. 
and we still constantly giving our dollars. Having went to the conscious community and said, where's our corner store? Where's our corner store? Why? These niggas too busy debating about ancient Kemet. Whether we black or we Moors. We too busy on other, we're chasing other pursuits as if we have arrived. As if we've made it. Stand back and go back and forth with one another with, with, on, 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 on such trivial things. It's trivial. Trivial pursuit. That used to be a game, trivial pursuit. About the little, you know, he had a card, a real knowledgeable game. We're stuck on that. We're back and forth on those things as if we have arrived. No real substance, no things of substance, no real programs. Talk to me, family. Or either I must be saying something that you're agreeing with. It's your brother Yank. Independence Talk Radio. First one, if you like to come in, if you have a comment, if you disagree with what I'm saying, you may say that I'm being too hard on us as African people. You may say that I feel like you're defending Obama. The nigga ain't did nothing for us. You're welcome to that. I'll open up your lines. If not, then we'll, we'll, we'll keep rapping about this. Because this is something that is near and dear to me. Having come up in a communalist family, I've seen the effects of African communalism. I know that African communalism works. For those of you that uh, had the privilege of listening to my mother when she was on the show, she talked about how we lived in three families, lived in one house, how everybody kept me. How was love, these different mothers that I had, these different aunties, the various uncles are from the brothers that I had. The brothers had a house where the single brothers lived at. The single sisters had a house that the single sisters lived in. How many single brothers and sisters we see today that us as families have to put up? Why haven't we pulled our resources and say, hey, brother, so-and-so doesn't have a place, brother, so-and-so doesn't have a place, and that brother doesn't have a place. Why can't they get a place together? And we can get it under whatever organization name. And you can set your rules and regulations. See, but why? Because it takes discipline. It takes discipline. When it comes to doing our own thing, we lack the discipline. We lose our mind. We can drive 65. We can stop at a stop sign. We can obey every law that everybody puts down on us. But when we try to implement something of our own, I guess it's something in us. It's that Willie Lynch that starts to come out of us where nigga ain't going to tell us nothing. And we can't work together. We can't have enough self-discipline to start to have some things. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, communalism is the only solution. It is the only solution. This capitalist way of thinking, which was not for you and I, this independent, materialistic, consumerist way of thinking was not for you and I, is not 
for you and I. You will not survive it. We will not survive it as a people. We already see it claiming lives. We already see the deterioration of the mental state, of the moral state, of the ethical state of us as African people in America. We are so divorced from who we should be. We are so divorced of what we what we originally were. We have been turned away from our true nature. Excuse me. We've been turned away from our true nature. And then ask, what has Obama done for me? Or why did the Chicago Four act out like they act out? Or even the the complete polar 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 opposite of that. They should have did what they did. We're sick. And until we start to come together to find these answers, and these answers are not going to be there again to go into my tirade, my rant about the same old, same old. And I know he said, boy, if this brother says this one more time, but I have to because I have to beat this in our head to get us away from this sensationalism, this rhetoric, this YouTube bull stuff, this doing something for a few likes, this exploitation of our people. Please, if we don't pick nothing up, please, somebody out there in the ears, in the sound of my voice, earshot of my voice, please, when you go back, can we at least try this for Chairman Yanger, man, because my humanitarian side is just killing me. Can we stop putting up pictures? I don't have a problem with us putting up pictures of the pots and pans and the delicious meals we're going to feed the homeless. And I think that that's wonderful. It looks as of our underprivileged brothers and sisters, man. I, it, just, it, just, it just looks very exploitive. It looks very exploitive. Why? If, 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 if someone can give me a good reason why, then maybe I could change that tune. But the only reason I can see now is for a few likes to get out there to really look like you doing damn something. You ain't doing nothing. You ain't doing nothing. Not really. It's good. Like I said, you get your merit badge. But in the long term of revolution, it's good for a it's good for a, a social band-aid. But don't, please don't mistake that as a revolutionary action. If it doesn't, I'm saying not, let, let, me, let me be clear. Let me be clear because I don't want to discourage that. I don't want to discourage that. But my prayers and my hopes are that that will evolve into a real program that will start to become self-sufficient, that will teach the community that's a program. If we start to a feed the homeless program, are we getting the community involved that they can maintain that program where the community are looking out for their homeless people to where we can move on to the next thing? Or does it become a burden on the few brothers and sisters who are trying this noble endeavor we have to find ways to get the community involved so that they can continue that thing. That's all I'm saying. 
I don't want us to mistake aid for the be-all of our revolutionary movement, but that we have to start to formulate ideas and plans and come together and sit together and eat together, break bread together, and think together. And if we debate, allow our debates to be on something that is realistic and substantial, not just superficial, not debating on trivial stuff. And this is what you and this is what you find. So these are some of these are some of the things that you know I I, I, I contemplate on. These are some of the things that when I look at our so called social media, man, I'm telling you, I've taken a big step back. I have taken a big step back from really getting on Facebook and looking at Facebook like that because it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because I see on Facebook one thing, but when I walk these streets, and I do walk these streets, that's why I'm not on Facebook all the time like that. When I'm in these streets, I don't see anything closely resembling the images that are in my feed every day. I don't see anything closely resembling that. I have the privilege of being in New Jersey today. And I'm in New Jersey, and I went to, I think it was Jersey City. Man, if I would have believed the hype that's in my social feed about New Jersey, I thought it was prayer. I went through Jersey City. It is the hood. We need work, and we're not going to get work sitting at those monitors, tapping on keyboards, putting the fantastic pictures, and they are some fantastic pictures, brothers and sisters. Let me tell you, some of you brothers and sisters look wonderful, superhero-like. I mean, God damn, you are awesome, just awesome. But with all that awesomeness, I went through a part today, if they seen you looking that awesome, they have snatched them sunglasses and that beret and them patches off of you. This this section was rough, and we were out there with a preacher that had to be in his age. He doesn't have the big uh, uh, social book and Facebook fame. He he has no he has notoriety. He's known for his work as a civil rights activist and having marched with Dr. King. And it was an honor to be in his presence today. I mean, it was a real honor because he has been in my history books and my studies. So to shake his hand and to be able to talk to the man and meet him face-to-face and to see him actually in his hood at this age and the following that he had and the young people that came out and rallied around him and supported him and the people that supported him was awesome. And he doesn't have a large Facebook following. But he's effective in the streets. And these are who I mold and emulate myself after. And if you was to say, you could clearly say to him, I don't see what you're doing because you're on social media looking for it. But if you're in the neighborhood, then you would see the effect that he's having. We marched with MIP today, MIP, Mothers in Pain, sisters who have lost their children to violence. And he rallied the 
these sisters and it was young people and it was just it was a wonderful thing and after that they went back to the church that's in the middle of the hood one of many he's a national leader of many of these churches they call him the people's pastor brother reverend Daltry, i have to send a shout out to him call him the people's pastor and i had the privilege of talking with him and seeing this effect that he had on these people in jersey in his main church and his main place of operation is in Brooklyn. But this is how far his influence has spread without social media. Without social media. The work, word of mouth, the effect on the street. So this is what I'm calling my people back to, the real program that he's enacting. And this is a type, these are the type of people that I came up under, that you get in these trenches that you shake hands, that you establish a rapport and a connection to the brothers and sisters in the streets. And the only way that that will work is where they will start to build that respect and have a love for you and a genuine happiness to see you is when you're affecting a positive, productive change in their life, when you're real. If you're not affecting that positive, productive change in their life, you're just some other Negro that's coming around every blue moon, fronting. So this is what I'm asking us to get back to as African people, this communalism. Communalism comes from the word community to establish a community again. What is community is a common, is a, what they call, what do they call it? A compound word. And that compound word, those two words that form community, is common unity. We all have that shared experience of oppression, exploitation, repression, economic uh, depravity, poverty, everything. We all share that as African people. So that's our common unity. Allow these to be the things that we start to build on. For those of us that are Panthers, the nine local objectives. For those that are not Panthers and don't know what the nine local objectives are, and you're saying, hmm, what can I do? What can I uh, build a common unity on to rebuild my community? Just step outside your door and look around. It's something as simple as starting a cleanup committee in your neighborhood. You and one other person can go around and with a trash bag and your little plastic gloves and start to pick up trash on one block. And I guarantee you, if you practice, like my brother told me, um, Brother Bear told me one of the key words he said that I love that I always repeat, consistency. If you're consistent, if you're consistent, people will see you doing that and you will be surprised how two people will grow into three and three into four, and you start with a cleanup, and then eventually maybe you can plant a tree here or plant a flower there, and that goes into a community garden. And from community garden, you can start to talk about the need for more vegetables in your diet, and that leads to more health discussions. And health discussion leads to uh, proper living and 
proper living leads to better living conditions and housing conditions. They're a domino effect. It's a domino effect. But we don't want to address these issues. Those are issues we don't want to address, and we don't want to address them realistically because that takes study. And not only does it take study, then it takes human interaction. And not just human interaction, you have to develop a rapport because if you haven't developed this rapport with this person, they don't want to hear what you got to say. My mother always says no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So when you develop this rapport, when you develop this relationship, when it's dynamic, starts to happen, then they'll be more inclined to listen to your health advice. You know why you walk with that? That's gout. Maybe that's a sign of high blood pressure. You know what we suffer from in a black community? If we step up our level of professionalism, as revolutionary black organizations, then maybe we could get some black doctors. Or not, if not even black doctors, you got a lot of these nursing aides and nursing assistants to run a blood pressure check in your community. You know we suffer from hypertension and high blood pressure. If you stop being so stuck on your Muslims, I don't mess with them Christians, I'm stuck on your Moorish then maybe you could get cool with the pastor and they let you use the church to do some activities out of part of your community. Negro so stuck on your Muslim stuff in the mask, it ain't, won't even let you pass a bologna sandwich out of Get off of that. Start to practice this common unity. Start to know your neighbor. Start to know one another. And when you start to know one another, you start to know knowing one another increases your resources. Your resources, and not just tangible resources, but also people's skills are a resource. Who that nurse's aide is, who that phlebotomist is, or that nurse who can run high blood pressure. You'll find out who the carpenter in your community is who can help you to start to, for the elders, fix the porch that is about to fall, the step that is coming down so the elder, when she steps down, won't break her ankle. You'll know who the plumber is, who the electrician is. Stepping up the professionalism of our organization, putting things in order. Don't get me wrong, like I said, defense is necessary. Defense is necessary. Say it again. Defense is necessary. But if the when we say Panther Party, if all we thinking when we say Panther Party is a defense mechanism, is a so called army, a so called militia, you'd have missed a mark. Is that what you thought the original Panthers were? Oh, they tricked you with that one, huh? They didn't trick you with that one. They just showed you a picture of Huey sitting in a wicker chair with a spear and a shotgun and you think they were the black militia. Oh, they got you with that one. It was a political, a revolutionary political party that was espousing at that particular time socialism. And we all just know what socialism is. It's just African communalism. It's what the white man, white man, he changed, you know, he ain't going to never 
let us have this. We got to change the name so you don't know what it is. Socialism, communism, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. They ain't invented nothing. They did like uh, uh, Plato's, Aristotle, and Socrates. Stole the works of Imhotep, stole the works of Egypt, and put their names on them. That's all they did. That's what Frederick Engels and Karl Marx did the same thing. African communalism, tweak some words here, tweak some words there, and call it communism. Same thing. Same thing. So when you, so Huey, we're looking at the original. When you look at the original, like they say, when you study uh, what you and Bobby was the orator. Huey was the ideological, technical genius behind the party. And the whole thing was socialism. It was about self-determination, community empowerment, taking control of our destiny because we couldn't rely on anyone else. And when they saw how effective we were at doing that, they gave us the program. And when they gave us the programs, took away our gathering, our um, reason, not reason, it took away what we used, it took away a tool that we utilized for teaching the ideology of self-determination. And that's what scared them about you. We knew it wasn't no damn shotgun. You thought a shotgun scared them crackers? Really? Really? If the shotgun scared them crackers when they implemented the, uh, what was it, the Bradley Act, when they disarmed them, they wouldn't have started a shootout with them. They wasn't scared to shoot out with them. They were scared at first because they knew the Civil Rights Movement, if it hadn't taught them anything, it taught them about world opinion. Think about it. If Martin Luther King didn't do anything, he showed the world that that European was savage and that he was violating human rights. The Arab that was calling it civil rights, they assassinated Malcolm because Malcolm correctly identified it. He said it is not civil rights. This is human rights violation. He wanted to know how could you condemn China. He said how can you condemn South Africa for practicing apartheid when you practice the same thing in segregated South. Human rights violation. They said, we got to get rid of that nigga. Because he's calling the world into our bedroom. He's calling the world to intervene. So they had to get rid of him. So the last thing they were going to do after seeing what Dr. King did as exposing him to the world, that's about all I can really see came out of that. But exposing them to the world as savage, they weren't going to openly, openly in front of the world violate so-called constitutional rights and state rights of these men carrying guns. That's why Huey quoted the California state law for carrying a firearm. But once they changed that law, then it was open season. So that showed you they weren't scared of them Negroes with guns. Not like that. They were more afraid of what the Panthers were teaching 
about self-determination. It wasn't that they carried guns. It was the fact that these Negroes had the audacity to carry a damn gun. It wasn't a gun. It was the fact that they had the heart to carry a gun. That's what they were mad about. Who gave these niggas the heart? Who is educating them and motivating them and inspiring them to have the heart to do these things? And it was because of the community program. See, when you're feeding someone and you're educating someone and you're clothing someone, someone else comes and try to take that, they tell you, nigga, this is my bread and meat. I you ain't you about to get it like that, partner. You're not about to get it like that, partner. I will take this shotgun and blow your back out before you shut this down. Free UE. Free UE. Because that's our bread and meat. But once they started to implement their own programs and erode the community base and community support for the Black Panther Party, they could make a move on the party. People started getting from the government. The need of the Panthers wasn't as urgent because we can get from the government. And so once they eroded that base, they waged a war and attack. But we got these romantics who look and see these pictures of Yuri and this and that and think marching around with your damn peace shooter has really intimidated this white boy. You ain't intimidated. This nigga got a tank. You all gonna marching up and down the street with your oink, oink, bang, bang. He'll roll a tank out on there. Don't and think I'm playing. I had one of my members when the SWAT came out after one of my members. I didn't have because he, she, she, everybody talked that stuff in Atlanta about Atlanta Decatur. Let me tell you something about revolutionary work in Atlanta Decatur. If you ain't had your headquarters raided by them, then boy, you, you really, you, you, you ain't on their list. I'm talking about not one time, twice has my headquarters been raided. And I ain't talking about no police and police uniform. I'm talking about them boys that what they got in Afghanistan where they had a tank on my show. You can march with your little gun. I just seen a tank on the street coming in my headquarters. So you can say what you want to say about Atlanta. If your headquarters ain't been raided, you're playing. You're playing. And I ain't talking about one time. I'm talking about twice. That's how revolutionaries get down. That's how revolutionaries get down. So they got a tank you know, for all your little marching and stuff. They got something for that. So they're not scared of your little pea shooter. They're more afraid of you teaching self-determination and self-sufficiency than the program. That's what got our headquarters raided. It wasn't because we had hella guns and hella weapons, so they brought hella guns and hella weapons up out of there. It wasn't because of that. It was because of the work that was being done in the community. The breakfast program, running so good every morning, they said, we're selling dope out the house. We had so many people coming in and out. That type of stuff. When they raise you, when the community start hollering out, let them go, let them go, let them go. When the community draw around and the police get scared that the community is going to mob them. When they grab one of my members of the community short, right, riling so bad, they said, man, get her out of here. 
get her out. They had to put her in the car, take off. Because the community was about to start tearing up, shaking police cars. They ain't going down. Revolution ain't work. And it wasn't because we were sensational. You wouldn't have seen none of that on Facebook. None of that. Because the work was in the community. It's the real deal. And this is what I'm saying. And, and guess what? We didn't say what Obama had done for us. <laughs> we didn't ask that question. Now, one time did we say, what did Obama do for us? No, we understood the importance and how imperative it was for us to do for ourselves. And to end and conclude on that range thing, in case I shake any of y'all and I don't want to spook the revolutionaries we're trying to get in the movement, when you're legit and you're above board, no arrests were made, the weapons were registered, everything was above board, everything returned, they got what they wanted, which was the paperwork, under the pretext of everything else. They got what they wanted, the paperwork, under the pretense of looking for something else and doing something else. And everything they said they came for and was trying to do, none of it was there. None of the, the, the so-called cause couldn't be substantiated, none of that. So we knew it was a gimmick. It was a farce. So when you're in line and doing it right and have a revolutionary discipline, a revolutionary discipline and sincere, and you're there for the people, you don't have to fear. But this empty sensationalism, this rhetoric, these superhero pictures that we're putting on Facebook, not only might get you killed, at worst, at the least, it is going to turn people off from our movement because they're going to find out that it is just a farce, that none of that truly exists the way that we're trying to make it exist. One of the rights of the masses of the people on us as revolutionaries is that we don't mislead them that we don't mislead them. So we have to be truthful in even presenting the struggle. And at all times, like I tell my after the uh, my central cause and I tell our chapter, it is not glamorous. It's not glamorous. It's not easy. It's an uphill battle. It is not glamorous. It's not easy. It's an uphill battle. But if we're patient and if we have perseverance and fortitude, and we have solid character and integrity, and we're focused, and we have vision and a clear ideology, and we work together, and we talk this revolutionary love, a sincere revolutionary love, then victory is assured us. Victory is assured us. I am one who believes in Mayad. I am one who believes in Arabic. It's called Adol, justice. I am one who believes in equality. I am one who believes in balance. And the way that this society has treated the African here, the injustices, the imbalance, the lack of equality, the oppression, the exploitation, I know the universe won't stand for it. I know the universe won't stand for it. So victory is assured us, brothers and sisters. We're guaranteed it, but we have to be patient. Universal universal law. And the main, major universal law is the law of reciprocity, that you reap what you sow. That if you plant a lemon tree, 
you can't expect an apple tree to grow. So if you plant a seed of deceit, if you plant a seed of deception, if you plant a seed of misleading people, if you plant a seed of hatred, if you plant a seed of despair, if you plant a seed of wrath, if you plant a seed of fear, that's what's going to grow in your garden, and you're going to be forced to eat that. And you're going to be forced to eat that. And this is what we find many of our formations feeding us. Fear, anger, hatred, wrath, despair, hopelessness. They got you scared. They got you spooked. Got your black, beautiful, black self. Gods and goddesses, kings and queens. This is what we call ourselves. Spooked. Fearful. That white man, I hate you hating. I hate that. I hate. And hate is so contagious that it can't be contained, that not only do you, you start out hating a white man, then you start hating black people. You start hating anybody that disagrees with you. Because hate is a sickness that spreads through the body. Love is not a weak word. Love is not a weak word. Love is a powerful word. Love is a wonderful word. Love is a strong word. I love you so much, I'll fuck somebody up about you. How much I love you. I ain't got to hate him to do it. I just love you more. How much I love you, brother, sister, that I will bite a nigga nose clean off his face. I'll crack a nose, I'll bite his ear off, and I don't eat pork. For you, because I love you. Love inspires me. Love motivates me. And it's love, when we have a love for one another, healthy love for one another, then love also encourages compassion and understanding. We all go through it. We all go through it. Love, I, not to put my business out there, shoot, I lost a soldier. I'm not going to say lost a soldier. You don't lose soldiers. But another soldier, his journey in life decided that his path differed from the formation. My love only allowed me to give them words of encouragement and let them know that I'm your family. We're your family. We're here anytime you want us, and you're in our prayers. Our thoughts are constantly with you because we love you. See, hate won't allow that. See, hate will want you to create stumbling blocks and obstacles, and I hope you don't make it in life. I hope you're not successful. But love encourages that. Because it's not just a love for any individual, but a love for our people so that we know of one of us that is conscious is equal to the success and prosperity of all of us that are conscious. So this is where this has to come in. Do I agree with Obama, former President Obama? I'm not even going to disrespect him by calling him Obama. I'm not even going to do it like that. I'm going to say President Obama. i give him his title. I wouldn't want him to disrespect me. Just call me out Yanga. No, brother, call me Mr. Crew, my chairman. You don't know me like that, President Obama, so I'm not going to call Mr. Obama that. I'm going to respect it. We've been taught always by me to go say Mr. Obama or President Obama. So my love, even for President Obama, I do, do I agree with his policies? Do I agree with his procedures? Do I think he did? No, 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 and no. 
all day, every day. But I understand that he did what he felt like was right for me. I disagree with it. But I don't have to be consumed with and hatred. His demise is not my edification. His destruction is not my uplifting. It's a waste of energy and time. We move on. We learn from it. You take the signs from it, and you learn from it. And that's what we do. Just like in this day and time. Now, I'm not totally, I'm not going to say that I'm totally free of hatred and all this stuff. I do kind of, I do kind of have a hatred for the white man. I think you're going to front. I'm not going to front for you, brothers and sisters. I can't front. I have a strong dislike. Can I use strong dislike then, people? Is that the, without, what chairman of you, I have a very, 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 very strong dislike for him. So I'm still learning. But when I speak about this, this planting that seed, that is not something that I would, that's a personal growth area. That's not something that I would espouse to you. Or over the rib because I don't want you to be motivated from that. I want you to be motivated by logic and rational thinking. I want you to be motivated by empowerment, by prosperity, by success, by those things that spell out liberation and advancement for an African people. And me espousing fear and hatred to you, I don't see how that would be beneficial in any other way. Because the only thing it does is make you behave irrational. Oh, it doesn't? Let's just take a look at the Chicago Four. What do you think that they what do you think they learned? Fear, hatred. Fuck Trump. Fuck the white man. Fear and hatred. Fear of Trump. Fuck Trump. Fuck the white man. He's all in fuck Trump, but I guarantee you, I'm willing and I'm not a betting man. I'm not a gambling man at all. But I would be willing to bet that if you check any of their track record, none of them even registered to vote and holler about fuck Trump. Because of the fear and hate rhetoric that has been espoused, you get these type of actions. This is why I would never try to scare a formation into action. I need it to be a, a choice that they make of their own fruition based on rational, logical thought a love, and a love of the people. That's what I need that to be. Brothers and sisters, we're winding down to our last. This is the whole, y'all let me hold the whole show. Y'all do know for two hours by myself. Y'all let me do the show two hours by myself. But I love my brothers and sisters. I love y'all. I thank you for tuning in and listening, giving me this opportunity to share with you. Give me an opportunity to build with you um, and, you know, to continue to do what we do. And this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about at the, at the People's Black Parenthood Party. Check us out. You can find us. You can catch us. At the, you can email us at the People's Black Panther Party dot Gmail. I mean Gmail dot com again. People's Black Panther Party. That's People's Black Panther Party Gmail dot com. 
get us hit us on. You can check our page out for those of you that are on the social media people's social media people's Black Panther Party. All caps. You can get at me, brother Yang and Kroom on Facebook. Instant message me, whatever. But just check us out. If not, the People's Black Panther Party, I encourage you to become a part of any progressive black organization. Get involved. Get involved. And together, we can start to affect a positive, constructive change in the African community. I'm going to leave you with the way that I greet you. And that's all power to oppress people, African power to an African people and black power.